Hi, I'm Lisa Lancer-Rose, an award-winning author, educator, and dog trainer with a passion for animals. Now more than ever, people feel alienated from the natural world and worried about animal life. Join me and my guests as we take you deep into the lives and minds of our fellow creatures, hoping to forge a bond strong enough to save us all on This Animal Life. see them if it's any comfort oh. to you and if I could I would be charmed so oh, yeah. I'm so excited to have with me today Arthur and cartoonist Rosemary Moscow her bird and moon nature comics won the National Cartoonist Society's award for best online short form comic and they were the subject of an award-winning museum exhibit they're collected in a book that's a 2019 ALA great graphic novel for teens she co-wrote The Atlas Obscura Explorer's Guide for the World's Most Adventurous Kid, a New York Times bestseller, and she's written several science books for young readers. She speaks at birding festivals and writes for the PBS kids show, Eleanor Wonders Why. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you so much. Hi. It's great to be here and to talk about pigeons. <laughs> why? <laughs> I love the reaction that people have when I say that. It's it's understandable. <laughs> I say, why? Why would you do this? Um, but no, they're they're. I think I really genuinely think they are some of the most misunderstood animals. There's so much more to them than we think, and by underestimating them, we really miss out on some some cool stuff. I suspect you're quite right. And I think by the time we finish this conversation, we'll be very clear about that. Um, yeah, I loved that in your book, you declared that uh, right up front that your purpose was to help people fall in love with them. And then, I mean, why would you want to do that? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. like what's I'm wondering, like, what's in it for you? And then what's in it for pigeons and people? Yeah, well, I mean, I think. Personally, I've always been attracted to underdogs. I mean, I was kind of a quiet, nerdy kid, and there was always some comfort in watching, you know, underdog animals and watching birds, you know, outside the window at school and, um, mm. you know, feeling, feeling kind of some kinship there with those critters. Um, uh, because you're an underdog too? I, have, I mean, that might be part of it. Um, and, and, and I don't know, I just really wanted to defend them too. I, you know, I wanted, uh, I wanted people to, to understand them a little bit, a little bit better, but I think, um, I don't know, I think with pigeons, it's especially undeserved because of this very, very long history that humans have with them. So it's, um, it's just like an a special injustice for, for pigeons in particular, because it's a betrayal. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah, because they've been domesticated for 5,000 plus years and people don't remember that. So, you know, if people disliked cardinals, which, you know, they're, they're beautiful, so how dare you, but also <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't also be betraying this really long-term relationship. So I'm hoping that if people are a little more understanding, I don't know, that, that, that they'll be kinder to pigeons, but also maybe kinder to each other because we'll, we'll all understand our history a little bit better. I hope to come back to that. Yeah. How, how loving pigeons or learning to love pigeons will help us learn to love each other. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's my secret goal is to stick in a bunch of history and biology. And, and by the end of it, you know, you say you love pigeons, but maybe you understand, you know, a few other things, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I, uh, as I read, I, I found myself thinking how wonderful it would have been when I was a kid. Like I wished I had known this stuff all along, you know, but it's never too late. Yeah. And I really didn't understand it when I was a kid, as a, as a kid, um, I was the kid on the block who would take birds to the, our local wildlife care center. So I remember the local kids bringing me a pigeon once and just dumping it on the front, <laughs> the front porch. Yeah. And sadly that pigeon passed away. It had been, um, poisoned, uh, unfortunately, or, or it was very sick. I, I never really found out exactly what was wrong, but I, I think it, it might've eaten some, some bad, some bad stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I, I felt like, um, I don't know, like I grew up really caring about these birds, but not with a sense of any kind of history. You know, when I went out into the wild or when I looked at a bird, I just sort of thought, oh, that's always been like this, you know, as, as you are when yes. you're a kid, you're like, this is how it's always been and how it will be forever. Yes. And, and I was yes. not right. So it was only recently that, that I started to understand the longer term stuff a little better. Yeah, it's not quite the same as the our history with dogs. Not not quite as substantial, but it's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. To dogs and cats. Yeah, and I think that's um, I think that's not an unreasonable parallel to make. I mean, I see what you mean. It's definitely you know no one. There are fancy pigeon breeds, but they're not. Uh, they're not something that most people are familiar with. So most people know a Great Dane or a Chihuahua, but they don't know, you know, an American giant runt or like a Hungarian house pigeon or, you know, an or they will when they read your book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think that those those two histories are really, really similar. I mean, similar to dogs. We domesticated these animals thousands of years ago, these pigeons. We did it because of how useful they were. It probably happened several times. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was no one kind of epiphany moment. And it's similar with dogs. You know, there were, it was probably the slow, complex process. And, and then once we had started domesticating them, you know, we turned them into these, all these different fancy breeds and we really shaped them a lot. And then some of them went stray just as with stray dogs and cats. The difference is when you see a stray dog, you think, oh, well, that's a, that's a dog. You know, that's a mutt. That's why it's, it's colorful. It's, it's a mutt. And when you see a stray- And you have fun guessing what might've made it, what DNA, who contributed the DNA. Now we have all those tests. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. That's fun for people. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a totally different experience. And with a pigeon, you just think, ew, there's a pigeon. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's so sad. It's not fair. Yeah. There is a sense of injustice here. I mean, as long as we're talking about that part of your book, um, you went into some deep DNA. I mean, you you used the word allele. I mean, you you went there. <laughs> and um, and you talked about the different. You didn't talk about the different breeds that let loose and, and uh, interbred to make the uh, colorful pigeons that we have now. Um, because I'm sure people have noticed there, you have the classic gray pigeon with a little iridescence on the chest. That's what we think of. But you notice all the time that some of them are brown, some of them have white patches. And you talk about what, what genes create each of those things, the, the more reddish pigeon and so forth. And I was thinking, you, I give this to, this idea to you freely. You can run with it, capitalize on it all you want. But that, <laughs> that there be contests for pigeon identification. Like how fast can you identify them? 
or most, most beautiful city pigeon photographed. Yeah. Yes. Because they've been domesticated for so long. I just sort of gave people a general idea of some of the more common colors and, and patterns that they'll find, but there are a lot of really subtle, really complex factors. And it's really, yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much more there. There, uh, there are tomes about the different genetics. There are hundreds of breeds. It's all so, so, so complex. So I just sort of talked about, you know, here are some broad things you know, the, mm-hmm. so for example, when you see a pigeon that has sort of a speckled wing instead of a wing with a couple of, of stripes, it's really interesting. DNA is showing us that that trait probably came from this species called a speckled pigeon that lives in Africa. That is not the same as the ancestor of our normal, of our domestic pigeons. And at some point it looks like humans crossbred them to try to make some kind of special, sure. you know, crossbreeding and, and they have these, these speckled wings. So we've got a little bit of a hybridization thing going on and you can see those genes, you know, be expressed in some of our domestic pigeons. I, I just think it's, it's so, so, so cool. All of the different, different things that you can see and it makes them way more fun to watch. It's a handbook. I think we skipped saying what the title was. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's a pocket guide to pigeon watching, getting to know the world's most misunderstood bird. Uh, but really, yeah, it's got it. it. My favorite kind of book is a book that's just packed with all sorts of strange little diversions. So that's what I was trying to go for with this. One. That's what you did. Yeah. It, um, but that's just one small part of it. Uh, where you talk about where all the different colors and patterns come from, which even just skimming through it and seeing that all of these elements of a pigeon's appearance vary greatly will make people pay more attention to them. Uh, Let's go back to pigeon love, if that's okay. Always. (laughs) It should be, I guess that's, um, seems to be the theme you that's you begin and end with love yeah that's yeah I mean that that's what drives me a lot is I feel like I don't know falling in love with unloved species has given me a lot over the years and I know you know it can be really rewarding so I want more people to have that experience and you started with Nikola Tesla (laughs) (laughs) which I, I went looking once once I hit that I did some research on Nikola Tesla and his pigeon obsession. Yeah, he, that's an odd story. Um, I mean, I was being a little facetious there, but he, so he was a confirmed lifelong bachelor with exception, <laughs> which is that he fell in love with a pigeon. So he was living in um, various hotel rooms in New York City, and he would uh, feed pigeons from his balcony and he would go down into the parks and rescue these pigeons and nurse them back to health. And there was one bird, a white pigeon, who he nursed back to health and he just loved this bird. And he told a biography that he loved her as a man loves a woman. Make of that what you will. And then he, you know, he- And can you make? I, <laughs> no, but he claims that, I mean, he had this whole thing about when she was dying, lasers came out of her eyes and she told him she was about to pass away. And then when she passed away, he really felt a loss of purpose. And so, you know, as, as strange as it all seems, I feel like a lot of us can identify with that feeling of yes. an animal passing away and it leaves this, this gap. So it's sweet as well as just being a little eccentric, which is definitely the case with Tesla. He, he was an eccentric guy. I hear you saying that maybe he just expressed a common experience in a strange way. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> it's, really it, 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 it's creepy what he yeah. said. Or, or strange. I mean, yeah, it, it, 
well, and, and the eye lasers and everything. I, <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, my theory is that this was some kind of alien pigeon and that you know, oh. hyper intelligent alien pigeon that had come to Earth to spread a message of peace and love. And <laughs> that's clearly what was going on. But you said that you could, uh, that many of us could identify with a, a loss of purpose upon the death of a pet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when we started talking, you were brushing feathers out of your hair. So I'm guessing you're no stranger to bird love. Yeah, I, I have two green cheek conures in my home and their favorite thing to do is cuddle and sometimes fight and groom on my head. So I just am showered by little feather bits. Wait a minute. You removed the birds before you got onto the zoom call <laughs> why <laughs> well i would have loved that <laughs> maybe it would have been too distracting they they when they hear a zoom call they scream because they're so excited <gasps> that there's a really yeah and so they'll scream and scream and scream um and then one of them will decide to run around on the floor and then one of them will decide to chew on a book they they need a, they need adult supervision so that's that's one of the reasons is they need it they need it and it's like having a rambunctious two-year-old human mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah they'll get into as much trouble as they possibly can in as short and they're a danger to themselves <laughs> and to your home goods yeah yeah <laughs> so so you understand when he says i i loved i'm not going to say you understand but when he said i loved my pigeon the way a man loves a woman Maybe he didn't mean it sexually. Maybe he meant it like a life partner because you share the same space, you share the same daily habits, you wake up and go about your day and you would, you miss when they are gone, then you miss them maybe more profoundly than you do a blood relative who lives even next door or across town because suddenly they're absent from your little quotidian habits. Yeah. And I imagine it must be even harder if you super, super care about you know, a feral animal, because this is already an animal that you're worrying about, because it's, you know, out in in an environment that maybe it's not suited for, and, you know, it has the potential to get harmed. And so, you know, that's, that's, I gave a talk yesterday to some rehabilitators for an animal rehabilitation conference. And I just kept telling them, these people are my heroes, because they're dealing with these very stressful situations, and they're standing up for these critters, you know, that, that go through hard times. And so it was, it was wonderful to be able to talk to them. And I've certainly brought a lot of pigeons to wildlife rehabilitators over the years, a lot of pigeons and other birds. Really? You lost count? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the most memorable one was a king pigeon, which is a, a, a fancy breed, a purebred pigeon. It is a utility breed which means it's bred for meat. That's a total euphemism. So there are these these big chunky pigeons and there was one in my neighborhood and it was not supposed to be there. It was clearly when, you know, our feral pigeons at least have a few generations under their belt and they know how to survive. And the the ones that don't have been sort of weeded out, unfortunately, but this this bird was clearly fresh out of the coop and did not. So you were just taking a walk one day and you saw this unusual pigeon? Yeah, and it sort of, you know, waddled up to me and was like, hello. Oh, where the latest, where the nearest coop is, you know, that kind of thing. So, and oh. it was not, it was, it wasn't foolish. I mean, it, it didn't let me catch it easy. So it took about a week to try to catch this thing. And, 
you know, brought it to the, brought it to the um, Humane Society and they put it in a cage with all the other ones that they were trying to rescue because there were a lot of, oh. I guess a whole flock of them had gotten out. But yeah, this bird. Oh, yeah. so we probably knew the other ones. I wonder, I mean, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I'm, I'm really curious, but that bird was just not, you know, supposed to be out. And winter. So all these other king pigeons were piling up in the in the Humane Society, and nobody ever found out where they came from. Yeah, it's actually that's a breed that's so commonly found that uh, so there's this organization called Palomacy, which stands for Pigeon Diplomacy, that does a lot of great work with pigeons, and they have a whole section of their website about king pigeons because they're. Oh, I have to write this down. Yeah, Palomacy. Um, they're, and they're wonderful. And they had a whole section that was, you know, people release king pigeons often because they feel bad for them. They'll see, you know, these meat birds that are potentially going to be slaughtered. So they'll release a whole bunch of them. Then they, they don't necessarily do really well in the wild. So there are a lot of king pigeons that people have adopted as pets and you can, you can probably adopt a king pigeon pretty easily from your local, local wildlife shelter. Now they're, they're really sweet birds. So they make good pets. That's what I hear. I mean, I don't have a pet pigeon because I think adding another bird to my household would be a challenge, <laughs> but that not only do, are they apparently really, really affectionate and really sweet, but so you know how, you know, you can't potty train a, a, a bird or a pigeon, yeah. well, maybe a dog or a cat, and even some dogs and cats, they have challenges. but what you do with pigeons is you buy them pigeon pants, which are like diapers and they come in like formal wear, like you can get little ties and cravats <laughs> and, and like fancy dresses and rhinestones and all this stuff. And so you can like dress up your pigeon and also catch that poop. And they're okay with that apparently. Yeah, they- They happily wear diapers. I don't know about happily, but they don't, they just sort of go, oh, that's weird. And then they kind of, they're, they're okay with it. They're, they're they just get used to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of pigeons wearing unusual things, you sent me this fascinating link. It's about 11 minutes of somebody walking around. I forget what city it is. I think it was Beijing, I think. Uh, yeah. So this person's walking around his neighborhood in Beijing, recording the sound of pigeons wearing whistles on their tails. Yeah. It's one of the eeriest things. Yes. That's the exact word for it it's just eerie yeah in like a beautiful like a spooky wind kind of it's it's yeah so so this is um one of the many many uses for pigeons i mean i kind of lost count there are so many things that people have you know used pigeons for bred pigeons for but one of them um in certain parts of asia particularly china um, but some other areas too indonesia and such there are these uh, pigeon whistles that people will carve out of gourds and other very lightweight material. It has to be really lightweight, but they're incredibly detailed. They'll often have like several whistles kind of stuck together and they'll affix them to these pigeons. And then when the pigeons fly in a flock, they'll make this strange, eerie sort of multi-tonal whistle. And it's just this, this really eerie, beautiful sound. I think it's so fascinating. I would love to pigeon whistle. You would. Um, I, I'll include that in, in the show notes um, so everybody can hear it too. But I immediately Googled pigeon whistles and maybe I was wrong about them. When What it turned up for me was whistles for training pigeons. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. that's another kind of pigeon whistle. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd, it also turned up whistles that look like pigeons. Hmm. 
But now that you say that sometimes they were in a row and they're lightweight, I think I was also that I was also seeing those. Yeah, that was something that I wanted to include. It was really challenging because obviously I'm an English speaker, but a lot of literature about pigeons and my book still, you know, pretty heavily focuses on England or France. Um, but there's a there's a long history of, for example, pigeon raising in India or, you know, pigeons in China or pigeons in Egypt or, you know, other places. There's there's so many different little pigeon cultures all over the world. Why do you think it's the pigeon that we have this long history with of all the birds for us to get close to. I mean, we get close to parrots and of course chickens, um, but why the pigeon? Yeah, I mean, that that is such a good question because there are so many bird species around. Um, I feel like you look at a chicken and, you know, it's sad, but it's kind of obvious, you know, they look meaty, they're meaty looking birds, but well, and they are also good guard birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. We use them for that too. Yeah, but we eat them. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we don't tend to live with them. They might be outside your door, scratch it around, but we, you don't tend to have them in the house the way you do a parrot, but the pigeon was often a house pet. Yeah, right. or or at the very least that they would be kept in these castles, these these dovecotes, these sort of towers mm -hmm. that were built just for them. And mm -hmm. I mean, only the rich, like as part of your attic. Yeah, or or as a separate freestanding building. I mean, there wow. in parts of England, parts of France, pigeons were something rich people had, and in some for some chunk of time, only rich people were allowed to have them. I mean, they were like elite elite birds that you had and, and there was a law there there was yeah i mean I, it was sort of formal or informal at different times but part of what happened during the french revolution was the poor went and smashed some of the the pigeon houses of the rich because they were so angry that they weren't allowed to keep pigeons and 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 the government you know in a desperate attempt to mollify the the poor people immediately said okay you can all keep pigeons now or it, you know it's one of these quirks of history there was a lot of classism going on. Wow. Pigeons. Yeah. But I think they were domesticated. Domestication is complicated, but, but they were sort of primed to be domesticated, I think early on. So they, um, they don't migrate, uh, the passenger pigeon, which is okay. a really important food bird here in North America. They, they did, they did migrate a lot. Um, they, they flew all over the place uh, the, uh, city pigeon Columba Olivia is the scientific name. They don't migrate. They're relatively docile, so they won't, you know, attack you <laughs> or, you know. Oh, yeah, that's an important point. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're docile. They don't need to eat a lot of, you know, fancy, expensive food. They eat the grain. They really started hanging out with us when we started farming grain. So both humans and pigeons just love, love grain. And they were just, they were just easy to keep. Um, they're very loyal to their home. So if you, you know, build a nest for, or, you know, a cavity for a pigeon to nest in, it will fly out during the day, but it'll come back to your home. And, you know, and that's, that's where it lives. That's, you know, that's why we call them homers as they come back to their home. So they were just sort of ready to be domesticated. You know, it was not a huge step for us to start hanging out with them. Okay. So they, they live a little bit like we do. They eat the same grain and their home bodies. Yeah, and they especially love our cities because in the mm. you know, the, the wild, um, you know, they so you know thousands and thousands of years ago when they were all living in the wild, they lived 
in cliffs, in sort of little little holes in cliffs. So what is a city but a series of large, cold, rocky cliffs with little warm cavities in them? So that's partly why they just love living near us as we've built little, little pigeon cities as far as they're concerned. I love knowing that. I have to say that that made a big difference in how I saw pigeons when I stumbled upon that. I became a bird watcher at some point ages ago and read about all kinds of birds. You know, uh, when you have the the field guides, uh, the Audubon Society field guides, you know, it'll have a, a little bit about the history of the bird and all. And that's where you, you'll find out all the different names for the bird. And rock dove was one of them. And that was when I, I realized a pigeon is a dove and a dove is a pigeon. And that each of those words has developed um, a tone to it, that a pigeon is pejorative and dove is not. So, and how inaccurate, how unfair. Yeah. And I, I loved knowing that it made me see cities differently too, that these are just cliffs and canyons. Yeah, yeah, I think the pigeon versus dove thing is really interesting because I didn't totally understand what was going on with that until I started researching this book is that, uh, so yeah, we, you know, when you think dove, you think, oh, Noah releasing a dove and dove of peace, you know, all these nice things. And when you- And love and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, biblical stuff. I mean, you just, yeah. oh, this is a sacred bird. And then you hear pigeon and you're like, ew. So I think it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when we picked up two words for what is basically the same bird but it probably dated to the Norman conquest of England in 1066 because pigeon is a French word and the word dove has sort of old English and Norse and German roots. So probably because, you know, we were eating these, these birds, we called them pigeons, um, you know, with the, with the French thing. And there's some similar stuff going on with, you know, cow, the word cow has more English roots. The word beef is from the French word boeuf, you know? So, so that's probably where we picked up that split, but it's really sort of unfortunate because there, there is no real genetic difference between pigeons and doves. There's a bunch of species we call one or the other or both. They're the, they're totally the same animal within this sort of the pigeon and dove family columbity. And then the city pigeon is one species in there. And it is variously called rock pigeon, rock dove, get off my lawn, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. It's got a lot of names, rat with wings. Yeah. And, and they all mean the same bird. Well, I was going to ask you why you think that our attitudes to pigeons have devolved from love to hate. Um, in such a short time span, at least in your book, it seems like it's a short time span because it looks a little bit like you might be blaming Woody Allen for it. <sighs> a little bit. He's, he's <laughs> culpable. Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly because probably the moment we domesticated pigeons, there were stray birds, and and you know we're we're never really thrilled about stray animals. You know that that we they become pests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And animals that we consider, you know, these are animals we should have control over. And now there's you know, mm. a stray horse or a stray cow or whatever. Um, so it's hard to know exactly when the hate started, but it really intensified in the 1960s especially in New York City, because in uh, 1962, there was a meningitis, a meningitis outbreak and a couple of people passed away, unfortunately, and the city blamed it on pigeons. And it was not, it was not pigeons, but we didn't know that at the time. So they, the city said, oh, pigeons are 
making gonna make everyone all up and down the coast super sick and it's it's all their fault we need to get rid of all of them which new york city is a pretty impossible <laughs> you know goal and so that was part of it but it was also we use them for meat we use them for their poop which is a good fertilizer we use them to pass messages and all of those usages were supplanted by something technological so factory farming of chicken for the meat um factory chemically produced fertilizer for the poop um, the internet, you know, radio, whatever, tele telegraph replacing messages and all this stuff. No, no replacement for pigeon whistles as far as I know, <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, they, they became obsolete. And then at the same time, we started to think, you know, ew, these things are in our cities and they're kind of in our, they're dirty. Yeah. And they're dirty. And, and we started lumping them in with all these other, you know, perceived social ills, like, oh, our parks are full of, you know, alcoholics and, and homeless people and pigeons. And, you know, all these things that we just perceived as these social ills, we, we dumped the pigeon in there too. They're kind of a symbol. So that, so it was in the 1960s that people first really started to say rat with wings, but then mm -hmm. Woody Allen put that in, I think, Stardust Memories and yes. really became a phenomenon. And that, that did not help with pigeon hatred. No. You know, now that when I read that section of the book, I suddenly remembered two things about the word pigeon. Um, and it's interesting as you were recounting the time period here in the movie Lady and the Tramp, the tramp's term of endearment for lady is pidge. Oh. And my father used to call me pigeon or pidge. You know, he stopped calling me that at some point. Um, you know, he had other ones. But maybe that was the time period when the association with the with the word pigeon was no longer um, associated with fondness with a pet. It was no longer a pet bird. It was, I mean, maybe maybe I was a pig. <laughs> you know, maybe I was a pest, and that's why he was calling me. I thought he loved me, but <laughs> I was just annoying. Him. <laughs> oh no, podcast revelation! I was probably dirty. You know, I had mites. I don't know. <laughs> he just kept spreading meningitis for me. <laughs> You know, you got to stop that. No, but there's, there's a lot to that. So we used to love, we used to love pigeons. I mean, they, there's, um, there was this expression, which has sadly fallen out of favor, which is billing and cooing, which is what you do yes. when, you're, when you're, you know, canoodling with your lovers, you're billing and cooing, which is billing is um, pigeons will do this thing where they sort of kiss, they lock beaks. So it's, you're sort of doing that and you're cooing and that's what they're, what they're doing. And they're, they, they mate for life. So they're very romantic. There's that. And, and there was sort of this expression pigeon pair, which is when you have um, two, uh, I think it can either just be two kids or like identical twins because pigeons have two, two babies at a time. Oh yeah. There are a lot of mm -hmm. terms of endearment because people used to think they were really, really sweet. And then, and then that sort of fell out of favor and you get stuff like stool pigeon, you know, there's. Oh yeah. Well, that's old too though. Stool pigeon. Yeah. 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 But, but I feel like the ones that we, that we are, you know, no one says billing and cooing anymore. <laughs> no. Like, and canoodling. That's a shame. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you just reminded me, of course, uh, it was a term of endearment for my father because um, his father or maybe it was his father's father, I'm not sure, used to race pigeons. So in and ra raised them and raised them. And you had asked me about the, I sent you the picture of my office wall and I, I brought into my booth one of them. I'll show it to you. I was going to try to read it. Oh, this beautiful illustration of a fancy pigeon. Yes. They all say similar things at the bottom. They're all, uh, they look hand inked. Um, they must've taken forever to make these. And in the bottom, it says, 
Glossop Hadfield and something, something, it's handwritten, Homing Society. This is to certify that the fifth prize in the open race for birds, uh, Saturday, August 13th, 1898. Distance uh, flown was 192 miles and it was, uh, velocity was 723 yards to Jim Rose. Yeah, that's beautiful. They mattered enough to my father to save them and frame them. Yeah, they, they used to be a real social thing. And there are still pigeon clubs around. I saw when I was doing research uh, for our conversation, I saw all kinds of YouTube videos on how to teach your pigeons to come home. Yeah. And how to raise them and keep them and on and on and on. Most of it was about homing. Yeah. Yeah. That I feel like that sort of the, the, that's one area of pigeon keeping that's really skyrocketed, especially in China. Um, people will pay over a million dollars for some fancy. So that there was one, I wrote it down, $1.9 million. I think it was just last year. It kept going up. The whole time I was writing, my book, I kept being a new, most expensive pigeon. And I kept being like, we have to change it. You know, and I'm totally, it's going to be an accurate soon because this is just going up and up as people are so into into pigeon racing, but a lot of those fancy breed clubs have, um, you know, have been sort of falling out of favor because people are just not as into pigeons as a thing anymore. I wonder why, or if it maybe started to make a comeback during COVID. In some places, for sure. I remember reading, you know, something about like Syria or Lebanon or where there's a really long history of pigeon keeping. People were, um, you know, under lockdown or under tough circumstances, we're keeping pigeons again. And, you know, it, it, I know a lot of people got puppies, but I feel like there was sort of a bit of a resurgence of some pigeon stuff too. Um, sure. Yeah. Because um, how wonderful that they can travel and we couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's, it's like, it's a really freeing, you know, thing I've heard to release a pigeon and watch it. Fall. I imagine so. I, and we have those moments where I guess they don't do it anymore, but where you release doves at a wedding or something. Uh, it's exhilarating. And you spent a lot of time in the book talking about the different sounds the wings make, which is anatomically and behaviorally fascinating. That was another one of my favorite parts of the book. In addition to the words, I, I loved the word origins and associations. Yeah, they don't sing. Pigeons don't sing, you know, like a songbird. Hmm. Um, you you won't hear them, you know, mimic like a parrot or something, but they but they do have a lot of vocal communication. So besides cooing and all that, there's some mechanical ways that they talk. So one of the ways is that when they take off, and I'm sure you know, once you notice it, you, you'll realize you hear it all the time. There's that sort of like, kind of oh, yes, whistle. Yeah, wing whistle when they fly. And when I first heard that, when I was younger, I sort of thought, oh, they're not very good at flying. Like, this is not a very good sound. You know, clearly there's some like some some wind. Well, like they have a, a belt loose in the engine. Exactly. It's sort of like calling car talk. And you're like, my pigeon keeps going. Woo, woo. <laughs> Yeah, there's something wrong with it, but it, but it's an intentional sound. So we know that it's related to a specific part of the wing feather because some scientists did this wild experiment where they used hairspray to freeze that part of the feather in place and release the pigeons and they couldn't make that sound anymore. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're, they're extra bendy at one part. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's so, yeah. so they, they stiffened them. Yeah. They, they put the hairspray and then they cleaned off the hairspray and it just, it's so funny. You know, these scientists like, Oh, we need something. Oh, surely it can't just be hairspray. Like <laughs> we have to say this in the paper. So, and then there, there 
were some other studies with, with not with uh, rock pigeons, but with some um, unrelated dove species where they found that when those birds heard that sound, they would burst into the air. So it seems to have something to do with warning other pigeons, you know, hey, sure. time to take off. We've, we've got to go. But they don't just, they don't just um, sort of have this mechanical sound. They also clap their wings. Mm -hmm. on purpose and they do it for two reasons so either they'll do it when they take <laughs> off to basically say again like oh no there's something wrong we've got to fly or the males will do it after an amorous encounter and we don't know why but they'll do a kind of a clapping for themselves thing where they'll fly forth it's hilarious throw their wings over their heads and slap the muscles together and and do that um and the females don't do that the females just sit there probably rolling their eyes <laughs> yeah like what did i just do and the male's going look did... at me look what i did Woo. yeah it just made me think when we drop food on the floor in the kitchen we'll shout everybody got lucky and the dogs come running you know so it just made me think i got lucky <laughs> <laughs> oh that that is that is really funny yeah your book is really funny you know, sometimes it's laugh out loud funny, but a, a lot of the times it's, uh, you know, it makes you smile, it, it makes you giggle, um, it makes you feel good. It's a happy book. I, I was hoping for that, you know, it was it things are things are difficult. And I do a lot of cartoons about, you know, environmental issues and all that stuff. And this was just sort of a nice, um, a nice break, but also, you know, hoping to tell a story in a way that that was not a slog, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully a little cheerful and, and it's charming and it has a sense of whimsy as, as do your uh, illustrations. Yeah. Thank you. I, I drew dozens and dozens and dozens of pigeons, so many pigeons. It was so fun. I remember just thinking my job today is to wake up and like draw 10 pigeons. That is what I'm going to do today. Wow. You know, I'm going to draw all these pigeons. That's, that's my job. And this is great. And also it's a lot of pigeons. It's, I mean, I didn't do a systematic study of your pigeon drawings. So with that caveat, we'll say every single one of them seemed to be a unique pigeon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't copy paste. I, I wanted to. Oh no, I, yeah, I was excuse yeah. me that. I'm just like, um, it looked as if you went in to make an individual bird every single time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it would have been reasonable to, to, to do some copy and pasting because there were whole sections where it was the same bird, but with slightly different color variations. But I oh, okay. Them all, you know, to look, looks just, just slightly different. I don't think anyone would notice, but I like really wanted to make them all hand-drawn you know, and, and no, I, I, I think I noticed, uh, oh, you know, it just, it, it came through. It's like I said, I didn't, it's, it's occurring to me now that every single, I, I felt like I was looking at a different bird every time. Yay. So many yeah. different birds, so many. Maybe I'm just very empathic and imaginative, but it, it felt like each, each one was a little person, a little personality, a little That's pigeon personality. So when you start watching pigeons as each one of them becomes, you know, you're like, oh, that, that one's an older bird. That one's a younger bird. You know, oh, those two are together. I wonder how long they've been together. How many eggs have they raised? I don't know. You just, you just start to become this busybody with your local, local birds. Oh, you've done a number of books. So how did, how did you come to do this book? Like when, when did you know you had a book in you about pigeons? I think I'd always dreamed of doing something like this because I love doing stuff about urban nature. I grew up in cities. Um, I've always, I've always felt it was important, not just to show, you know, my fellow city dwellers what's around them, but also to show people outside of cities, Hey, you know, we've got, we've got some cool stuff in here that, 
is, you know, worth, worth a look. So I think I sort of dreamed about doing something like that, but I honestly wasn't sure if a publisher would go for it. So I was, I wondered about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was was like, what, what was that pitch like? (laughs) So, you know, this publisher said, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're ready for some pitches. If you want to, you know, think about, think about some pitches. And I had a bunch together with my agent, another one really hitting. And, and I, I think I just, kept thinking about this book like I really want to do and I ha- even had the title in my head I was like I want to do a pocket guide division launching and one day I said you know what I'm just gonna send this to my agent and he's gonna say this is terrible and then we'll get it over with and I sent it to him and he said no this is great and I was like excuse me <laughs> really um, and then the publishers liked it and it moved on from there so it was you know what did it have that that was different that set it apart from the other pitches I mean, I think I genuinely really wanted this one. Like it's, it's silly. Like, I think I knew something in me knew like this was, this would be the most. So it was your passion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. But it's a passion. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I think I was afraid of pitching it because I was worried that I would get that definitive no. And then, you know, that. And it would hurt. Yeah. But, it, but it, that one, I mean, it always hurts, but that one would particularly hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of the game is, you know, with books is you, you pitch what you think is the world's best book and they say, oh no, this isn't. And, you know, you, you have to move on and that's, that's totally fine. But yeah, I was really surprised that they wanted, they wanted that one. And so, so excited, just, oh my goodness. So excited. Oh, it's clear that uh, you, you love, you seem to love every paragraph, every little drawing you had fun and it, it comes through. So anybody reading it is going to have that kind of fun. Oh, thank you. I hope so. Oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I found a recent article about um, a, another romance, like a, <laughs> like a Tesla thing. <laughs> there was, and it made the news. <laughs> um, did you see it? The 80-year-old French pensioner? Wait, was this the one who released the pigeon named Boomerang? No. Okay. Oh, I want to hear about that. Oh, I, I forget where this fellow was, but there was a, a guy who had this pigeon that he kept forever and he really wasn't up for keeping a pigeon anymore. So he gave it to a friend in another country and its name was Boomerang and it flew back home. And then he gave it to a friend in another country and it flew back home. So Boomerang just kept flying home and he was like, I don't think I want to have this pigeon. And eventually he was like, you know what? I think it's fate. Me and Boomerang are going to together but yeah what was this what was this story oh okay let's see um it was just in june of 2021 mm. and I, i'm going to botch these names because i didn't study french in school but xavier bouget he's an 80 year old frenchman and he built this relationship with a wild pigeon called blanchon Aww. yeah um they met when uh, he was out near his home and he saw a tiny pigeon like a fledgling fall to the ground and a cat was after it. Um, Yeah, I think the cat was in the tree. I'm not sure because why would you just leave it? But he left it and he went back and I guess it bothered him because he repeated it to his wife and she said, why didn't you pick up the bird? (laughs) So he went back and he said, I came home with Blanchon in my pocket. Um, After that, I he just raised the bird and they became best friends. I mean, he, he rides his bicycle. It's, it rides on his head. It, I think he mentioned something about it flying alongside his car. Yeah, they do. We see see these stores. That's amazing. So people will ask him, how did you train the bird to be so tame? Especially it's a good question because it was a wild bird. 
And he says it, it's just mutual respect. I mean, he also raised it from nearly a chick, right? So, um, but yeah, he, he mentioned it was mutual respect, which I think is a really interesting phrase when you're talking about a human and a pigeon. That- yeah. yeah, well, it's interesting because it, I can totally see that. And, and also it's because they are, because they're domesticated, they naturally, you know, because we've bred them for thousands of years to to want to be around people and to be good companions, that you know, it it was just doing what it what it does. It was like, oh yes, of course, I hang out with this person, you know. Well, it's also a flock bird, right? Yeah. It's um, it's a social creature. So he said, any human can build a relationship with an animal, which you know, especially given what you just said, I, maybe not any animal, right? But uh, he, he thought the ticket was to respect the animal for what the animal is, uh, a living creature that shares the earth with us. And he recommended that you're patient and you understand how they live, which is what your book does so well. Uh, understand how they live and adapt to their life because they will adapt to yours. So it's this mutual relationship building where you change some of your behaviors and your attitudes. Um, and the animal does the same, which almost sounds like a love affair like where you just adapt to each other. Yeah. I think that's what, that's, that's what I would really like to encourage is uh, so I yeah. have a section in my back called troubleshooting. That's just about, um, about what to do if, you know, pigeons are pooping on your balcony or if you find an pigeon <laughs> or whatever, and there's all these sort of things to do, but they're all relatively easy. And I'm hoping that and practical yeah. that whole that was a long section too. you thought of everything well yeah i mean i i have to credit all of the different um wildlife rehabilitation groups that i was researching and you know getting all this information because it's i mean i think i think you don't um respecting a pigeon doesn't mean oh i'm gonna have a poop all over my head you know you can <laughs> you can work out a relationship of mutual respect and and um and that that's just sadly what we it's not what we have with pigeons now because you know of our short memories which was what really shocked me is how quickly we can forget about relationships that's it's sc- scary yeah 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 so like you know where i live in the northeast there are all of these turkeys everywhere you know there's turkeys in the city there's urban turkeys they're driving people crazy urban turkeys yes yes so these wild turkeys um not domesticated these these wild turkeys they're everywhere they're they're like walking down you know the streets in new york they're like all over the place and that's so cool yeah and 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 people are you know if you if you google this there's all these people saying why are there these turkeys here there's turkeys everywhere oh there's all these turkeys and what's interesting is they are one of the greatest conservation success stories of the past century because they were almost wiped out they were brought back through this careful program of breeding and reintroduction and now they're everywhere and so people can't remember a time when there were no turkeys or remember why there are turkeys everywhere now and and it makes me sad because there was this you know we we did this to try to save the turkeys and now we're just and we did it yeah yeah it worked great it worked maybe too well (laughs) Because there, there are turkeys. I mean, there, there was a cemetery in Boston where these turkeys were, you know, running after mourners and they had to relocate <laughs> the turkeys. And, you know, it's, it's like an issue. That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're driving and these, this male turkey will strut into the road and do his Well, they're so big. They're so much bigger than you think they're going to be when you get up close to them. They're, what, I seem to remember Ben Franklin thought that should be the national bird, not the 
bald eagle. The whole thing about turkeys. Yeah, it's turkeys are are because they're intelligent. Yeah, and they're and they're domestic. They're one of the few domesticated animals from North and, and Central and South America. So they're they're like they're they're uniquely you know American. Go turkeys, <laughs> and you can't really domesticate a bald eagle. That would be that would be no. You know, earlier when I said I had my doubts about being able to uh, get along with any, you know, that that's a good example is a raptor. And I used to, um, I have this long history of bird keeping in my family. Right, starting with the pigeons and who knows before that. But I kept finches when I was a graduate student. I, I got a couple in a cage to keep me company. And then I learned that um, they don't like being in a little tiny cage. They need more, they need space to fly. They can't climb like parrots, you know? So I let them out in my apartment. Well, so, well they, they tended to only poop under the perches. So I could put a little paper. They loved going in my bookshelf and they would, they would canoodle and baby talk with each other. Um, but anyway, I respected them and I adapted to them. And they did not land on my shoulders and, and kiss me or anything like that. They were, they were not, they were sociable with each other and not with me, no matter how I tried. Yeah, you have to work with the limits of the animal for sure. You know, like, like, um, like with, with pigeons, you know, you're, if you're getting a pet pigeon, you're not, you're not going to get an animal necessarily. That's always going to want to cuddle or that's, you know, sometimes they do, or, or, you know, that's going to like talk or, you know, there, sometimes you get a pair and they do their own thing. And, and from what I understand, but, but you can still have a relationship there where you sort of learning about each other and respecting. Each other. Yes. Yeah. I, I loved living with my finches loose. I got more and more of them. I had had like 20 well and also they started they started breeding because <laughs> they were so happy i made them so happy <laughs> that they had uh the zebra finches just started overpopulating but this guy bouget says that um there's a desire to be together because it feels good and i thought that that's the 80 year old man the frenchman with his pigeon bouchon and um i thought that was interesting that that the pigeon found it intrinsically rewarding just to be in this man's company that it was not just mutual respect it was mutual affection and pleasure in each other's company i kept coming across that over and over i kept coming across you did people yeah who um rescued a pigeon or got an, had an experience with a pigeon and by the end of it they were just totally in love i mean darwin is a classic example where he needed birds to look at that were not you know, the Galapagos finches, because those are a little inconvenient to have in your backyard. So someone said, well, you know, get a bunch of pigeons and breed them in your backyard. And, and they were all the rage in his time that he was like, oh, I don't know, pigeons sound really mundane. So he got a few of them and he fell totally in love with them. He he wrote to- Did he? Yeah, he wrote to his friend Lyle, you know, come over, come see my pigeons, It is a, which is the greatest gift that, you know, a human can give to another human, basically, is to their pigeons I mean he was he was totally totally obsessed there's something about them the more you spend time with them the more obsessed you get it's it's fascinating to see you know how they how they work on us maybe it's some sort of brain parasite but they're they're very good at it they really like work their way into people's hearts and you just made me think of did you read the botany of desire by michael pollan i've read other michael pollan books but i haven't read that one yeah that one kind of changed my life uh, about how i see domesticated animals um he talks about four different plants 
right? And how each plant figured out a way to please, not that it was trying to do that, but every, every, um, every offspring, if it's a seed, it's a genetic, he calls it pinging the universe. It, it's a genetic combination and it's trying to survive, to reproduce itself. So some of these plants, these four plants, there was a potato, marijuana, each of them found a way to please humans in a different way. And we propagated them, those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just as, as you were mentioning uh, the social skills of the pigeon that uh, that we become fascinated with, and there's something about them that pleases us when we get to know them. We don't get to know the pigeons in the park. And you talk about how they're just in the background and they're especially trained pigeons for movie sets to, to be that mob of pigeons in the background. Yes, they're so essential. Yeah, that, that, that blew my mind is, yeah, they're, they're all trained. In fact, if you want to learn more about that, I found the <laughs> website, which is a pigeon movie database. Share it with me. So, there, so you know, the, the IMDb is the pigeon database. movie database. And then there's a, the PMDB, which is the pigeon movie database. <laughs> And it, sadly, it has been updated in a couple years, but it's, you just go through and it's got every movie and how they treat the pigeons, the level of skill required by the pigeon actors, this whole thing, you know, what is it a positive portrayal of pigeons? And you realize how many movies have pigeons just in the background because we expect them, you know, in an early yeah. scene, but they're not, you can't just film a movie, you know, movie scene with feral pigeons in the background they're going to be like oh what are these lights and people you know this is stressful this is weird so they have to be specially trained standing makes so much sense yeah yeah i mean given my interest in intelligence animal intelligence and and training and behavior i i did some searching for pigeon training and you mentioned (laughs) there's such a teaser the list of things we've trained pigeons to do? Yes. Yeah. You, um, it was like, like a, a mic drop moment for me. I'm, I'm just, I'm reading along and, um, and you get to this um, stunning list of things that pigeons can do. And then you just like walked off the page and left me. <laughs> I would have loved, oh my God, I would have loved to write a whole book about it, but, but I couldn't, there are so many studies like that. Things yeah, pigeons to do, and there just wasn't the space. So I wound up having to make this list. But there, I mean, so we've taught them to play ping pong. We've taught them <laughs> to, um, to. I think my favorite is to tell impressionist paintings from Cubist paintings. That was the first one on your list. <laughs> I have the list right here. Yeah, favorite- I went and looked for each of these things after <laughs> I just put your put your book down and I searched them they're, all. They're all legitimate studies. I have them all cited in the back. And I think my favorite thing about that art study is. The pigeons, they really, you know, they could tell when the Impressionist paintings were the right way or, the, or, or not. But if you showed them a Picasso and then you flip the Picasso around, they'd be like, oh yeah, whatever, that's a Cubist painting. Like they, they, did, they didn't have an appreciation for orientation of, of the paintings, but yeah, they, they could. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, which, which is like their little, their little art critics. But yeah, they can, um, so they, this was a bizarre study, but people trained them to look at slides of breast tissue, cancerous tissue, and non-cancerous tissue, and they could tell the difference. Mm-hmm. But like that doesn't mean you're going to see pigeons in a hospital, <laughs> you know, with a little lab coat telling you which is which. So it's just, it's just like a funny thing where we learn about their cognition. And so yeah, they're they're startlingly intelligent, and at the same time, yes, they're not as smart as a raven or or a or a parrot or something. 
You know, it almost seemed, and I am just shooting my mouth off here. You know, I'm remembering something from college when um, they talked about how pigeons were more reliable than humans in factories when uh, you have the items on the conveyor belt and people are checking for, because the human gets bored Mm -hmm. and their mind wanders, but the pigeon has focus and it has this visual discernment and is somehow intrinsically motivated to keep focusing and looking for what's same, what's different. Right. And, yeah, and uh, yeah. super complex systems like um, cubist paintings and impressionist yeah. paintings or, or cancerous tissue versus non-cancerous tissue, whereas humans cannot focus for that long. But a raven is a problem solver. It's a yeah. different kind of intelligence. So it makes me wonder. I mean, some of the things I found that were not in your list that I started looking for was um, the ability to do math. I guess you mentioned um, counting to nine. Yeah, there, there were a bunch of math. I remember there were a bunch of math studies. So yeah, that yeah. little, little, little cognitive things. And there was one about words, like they could tell a word from a non-word. Well, they can read. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, I, I read that study. Yeah. That was that was crazy. It was, you know, you have to translate the science ease. Yeah. Yes. Orthographic processing in pigeons. Mm-hmm. That um Learning to read involves acquisition of letter-sound relationships and the ability to visually recognize a word, like what is a word and what isn't orthographically. So it was a visual processing thing. And so they were able to decode um, written language. Yeah, yeah. Like really surprising stuff. And yet, if you uh, swap a pigeon's babies with another pigeon's babies, (laughs) they have no idea. (laughs) They're like, oh, the babies are here, whatever. Um, they're specific in, in what they're, what they do. And, and it's interesting though, to compare them with, you know, a Raven that just has a different purpose in the landscape and, you know, is trying to, you know, figure out really clever ways to, you know, attack prey or whatever, like, you know, figure all this out and a pigeon, so much of its brain is just, where do I fly? How do I get there? You know, how do I navigate? Um, they're, they're, I wonder if it's related to navigation. Yeah. And navigation is a, is a, puzzle we have we have not solved which i didn't know um until diving into this i thought i figured i would have to know how they navigate at this point we have ideas we know a few of the elements but it looks like they're using like a half or dozen or more different mechanisms it's a combination yeah um and some of them we haven't fully sussed out yet you know we think they're using smell for example we don't know and we don't know you know, it's controversial. We don't know how much. And there's all of this controversy about, do they have a magnetic sense? Some people think they do. And and then, you know, there've been some false starts on that. There's, there's so many different ways. So much we don't know. Yeah. It's cool that there's still some mystery. It, yes. Now I'm thinking that if they are able, if they have this exquisite level of visual discernment, and I'm putting that together with the videos that I watched on how to teach your bird to come home. When you, when you acquire a new bird, you can't just let it loose because like boomerang, it'll go back to where it came from. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you have to make it feel like this is home. And one of the ways is to keep it for six weeks. But if it's an adult, you want it to have a brood. You get a pair and they have a brood. And then this is home because their babies are here. And then they'll come home. And then once you have secured that sense that this is home, then you take them out one mile and let them go and they will circle, which is probably what those pigeons in that video that you showed me of um, with the whistles, the videographer would tilt his camera up and show you the, they were white. 
those pigeons and they were circling in the sky, making that uh, eerie sound. So the birds, when you let them go, they will circle and they're mapping the terrain. So you take them in different directions too. It's one mile east, one mile west, and so on. So they are memorizing what the land looks like from the air. And how would that be so different from what um, a cell culture looks like Mm -hmm. versus a um, cubist painting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely learning to recognize landmarks and stuff too. And, and yeah, that, that, that stuff is so fascinating is how to train them because that was an issue in World War One and World War Two when they were being used as, um, as message carriers is, is, is they would come from farms, which the, in their brain was home. And then they'd have to be okay. carried to a new location, some kind of army base, and then trained to go, okay, this is our home now. And then they would fly back to base with messages. So yeah, it was sort of a bit of a complex training situation there, but it's because they're in kind of a weird, unnatural, you know, situation and very unnatural. You told a story. I mean, you didn't have a lot of space because the nature of the handbook or, or pocket guide, because it's a pocket guide. (laughs) Pockets, large pockets. (laughs) Yeah. So, like our phones are really big now. You need really yeah. big pockets. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there were lots of heroic pigeons that were given medals, mm-hmm. but there was one um, that really stands out. Jeremy. Yes. Oh, so uh, funny thing about Jeremy, my earliest editions of this book have an error in them, but it's a funny error. So Jeremy is the most famous, probably war hero pigeon. There's another one called GI Joe that was pretty famous from World War II, but from World War One, it was Jeremy. Jeremy was brought behind um, enemy lines, kind of by this group of soldiers in the Lost Battalion, and they got in trouble and they um, they released Jeremy in this desperate attempt to, to stop being hammered by friendly fire and Jeremy made it back and, and the soldiers were saved. It's a, it's a much more complex story than that. It's, it's really interesting. It is. Yeah. And, and, and it's heartrending. And so the name Jeremy is uh, so French is a very gendered language. And so Jeremy means dear friend and it's gendered as male, the way it's Jeremy is spelled. So I thought, okay, well, Jeremy is a boy. And then I did some Googling And I found that there was an official US military site that said, Jeremy was a girl. And this has been a huge cover up. And there was some kind of error that identified Jeremy as a boy and Jeremy's a girl. And this is a lack of representation of women in the military, which like, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. (laughs) So so I thought, okay, well, is Jeremy a boy or a girl? So Jeremy is taxidermied and lives at the Smithsonian. And no kidding. The thing about Jeremy is about any taxidermy pigeon is all the genitalia is inside. So if you taxidermy it, all of that's gone. And physically from the outside, there are some mild differences, but nothing that's definitive. So I, I talked to the Smithsonian and I said, what do you think? And, and I got this really wonderful guy who said, we were about to genetically sample the feathers to determine okay. once and for all, share me boy or girl. But then the pandemic happened and we couldn't do it. But my opinion is that share me is probably female. So I said, okay, great. So I put share me female in the book. We're good to go. Check it out. I discovered this cool thing. A few months ago, finally, they were able to get that DNA evidence back. Share me is a boy. 
And it, no. It, so, so I have this error, but I think it's an honest error. And I think it's a funny one too. Um, there's a whole wonderful book that I read recently by, um, I think her name is Kathleen Rooney called Cherami and Major Whittlesey. And it's all about Cherami, the history of Cherami. It's, it's really beautiful. And it goes on and on about Cherami being female. Um, and, you know, you know, that author did the best she could too. We were, you know, we were both doing the best we could, but breaking news, Cherami's a boy. DNA has, you know, conclusively shown. So that was a hilarious rabbit hole to go down. It's perfect because we can't, we can't tell even then. There are little, there are little differences The the beaks, the males have like a slightly bigger bulge over their bills, but it's really not, it's like a spectrum. It's complicated. So it's common for us to have pet birds that we surprise you and cats too. You can't always tell. Really with cats. I didn't know that. I'm yeah. allergic to cats. So I know nothing about cats, except they make me sneeze and I can't go near them. And they look very nice. They are very nice. Anyway, so that's Jeremy, Jeremy and Major book. Yeah, let me let me um double check the author because we have an event in a couple of days. Share together and major Whittlesey. Yeah, and it's it's um yeah, Kathleen Rooney. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Kathleen Rooney. And it's a beautiful K. It's, Kathleen K. Yeah, it's it's heart wrenching. I mean, it's about um, you know PTSD in the war and and you know I don't know. It's it's a, it's an intense hard read. But if you're up for that, totally. Wow. And it, it goes into the history of Jeremy and World War II and a soldier and a bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their relationship. Yeah. And and. Um, yeah. And a lot of like longing and pining and emotions and life and death. And I don't know, I thought, I thought it was. Really oh, that's just... <laughs> well, is share me the one that uh, everyone thought had been shot down. It was their last bird. Yeah. It was yeah. their last chance to save themselves. Yeah. And he had his uh, leg shot partly off and yeah, they saw him fall. Right. Yeah. And they thought that's it. We're doomed. I... Yeah. He got, he got hit pretty badly but but made it back and um passed away of his wounds a few years later but survived that initial kind of you know impact and, and they man pigeons are tough that's why he was decorated yeah yeah for saving i i can't remember how many but something like 160 soldiers who were just in the absolute worst condition and you know didn't they they were being hit with friendly fire and you know there was clearly some error going on so there just weren't weren't easy ways to communicate out of those trenches, but pigeons. Yeah. And this was their last hope. They, they had sent a pigeon, if I remember right, uh, and forgot to put the message on. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, it, it's, warfare, it's not funny. Is. It's not funny. That was awful. I'm sure that was awful. It's like when you hit reply all and you've said I, something, you know, I feel like uh, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they had lost <laughs> one of their birds and they were like, Oh no. Yeah. And I think the message that they went up tying to Jeremy's leg was something like, for goodness sake, stop what are you doing? You know, it was, it was very like honest, like, you know, we need, we, we need your help. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Kind of something like that. So. Yeah. Because it was friendly fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite a story. It really is. And it's only one of several such stories that are also teasers in their way. It's, it's like, here's, here's a fascinating story. And if you want to know more, you can 
go find out there's more. There's tons of, yeah, there's, there's tons of war hero pigeons. I was shocked. Like I couldn't, I could do a book just on the stories of each one of them. Cause there's so, so, so many medal award winning pigeons out there. Maybe that's your next book. Yeah. Just cataloging the heroic, heroic, but sad, but it, it's complicated, right? Because we call them heroes, but they have no idea what's happening. You know, I'm so glad you said that. One of the things that I keep wondering about is, you know, well, like how do the pigeons feel about having those whistles tied to their tails, for example? Yeah. I feel like with the whistles, um, I mean, it's, it's so complicated and, and, and the ethics of it are so complex. I mean, there's issues with pigeon breeding with like you know, if you breed a pigeon to, that has feathers around its face, so it can't really see it's, it's, you know, like certain cats or dogs, like it's, sure. I'm like not prepared to, you know, I don't understand that stuff well enough to comment on it at all. But the, but the thing about, um, about the ethics of like this, this, um, you know, pigeon releasing and then calling them heroes. Like, I think it's, it's really fascinating and, and questionable. Um, and, you know, what are we doing when we're saying, you know, this animal clearly did this wonderful thing for us and it didn't, you know, I think, I think it's really, it's just trying to go home. Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying to figure out how to go home. And, and, um, but then it obviously has a relationship with the people, you know, that it's like serving with too. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a complicated question for sure. And they clearly, they genuinely love us the way that a, a pet parrot does or your, your pet cat you know, they they have an attachment to us like we're part of their flock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen videos on Instagram of people with pet pigeons that are making this particular coup that pigeons make when they're basically saying, you know, hey, I found a good place to nest. Or once they found a good place, they'll coo at each other, the male and the female with the sort of like, hey, this is our home, this is our nest, you know? And so they're making this coup to this person basically to say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so glad you're here in our nest, you know? And, and there's something going on there. It's, it's definitely, they're trying to communicate like this is home. Yeah. And we learn, uh, those of us who live with pigeons, I imagine you learn what all of those little sounds mean. And they're learning what our little sounds mean. Yeah. Although we probably make some sounds where they're thinking, what is, what is happening with these people? <laughs> Like I just heard my parrot from the other room and she's clearly thinking, what, where is this voice coming from? What is happening? Oh, my voice. Yeah. I just heard her make a little like, like who's here. Yeah. Yeah. I often wonder what, what they're thinking or what they see. Are they scared in, in, in the case of battle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably to a certain extent, I mean, they, a lot of them got, got pretty, um, injured or, or, you know, suffered kind of similar issues to, you know, breathing in mustard gas or something that a lot of the oh, wow. were dealing of course. with. And I think it's, it's interesting because what I like about Kathleen Rooney's book is she contrasts those two things and you really get the sense that, you know, it's not just that the pigeons were dealing with all of this. It's also that we were sending, you know, conscripting like young men to go and do this and you know these or we were just you know having these these teenagers volunteer to go and do this thing who didn't have any option really and so how you know no one is prepared for the cost of war and you know i don't know i think it's i think it's a powerful pretty powerful metaphor that cuts through a lot of the sort of like nonsense about like oh we gave them medals so it's all okay you know it's, it's complicated yeah it certainly is wow 
And the bird was probably just trying to get back to the other pigeons that it roosted with in the dovecote. Yeah. And why is it so loud? <laughs> what is yeah. Here? Is it a storm? You know, my, one of my dogs is very frightened of, of something like that, even on television. If there's gunfire or a bombing or an earthquake or even people punching each other or something. Which, you know, it's so funny. Yeah. My parrots, um, whenever there's a thunderstorm, I see all of my friends, you know, tweeting or messaging like, oh, no, my, my poor dog. Oh, my poor cat. So stressed out. And my, my birds are like, what? <laughs> Where's my treat? <laughs> what that reminds me of all the videos I saw of people training their pigeons to do tricks. Oh, really? Like what? Oh, yeah. Um, the one that I watched the most of, um, what was his name? It's called Pigeon, his, his YouTube channel is called Pigeon Tricks, T-R-I-X. I'll put that oh, in the show I've notes. I've seen this. This is so great. <laughs> yeah. And he does, he has at least two different birds um, that he has taught to pick out different things uh, that are different color, things that are different shapes. He's doing that kind of um, Alex and uh, Irene Pepperberg kind of, or, or Chaser the dog. He's doing those kinds of like intelligence tests with his birds. Yeah. He's got all kinds of videos though. I have to check that out. That sounds so yeah. cool. And he shows how he teaches them. So you see the training process. He uses, it's clicker training. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So when I saw that, I thought, uh, I wonder if this guy has gotten any tricks titles on his, on his pigeons, because um, when the whole trick dog titling program took off, there were some people who went, hey, I, I teach my cat stuff. Can my cat get a trick dog title? And of course, she'll, she'll let you pay some money to get the title. <laughs> so uh, there are people who have trick goats, uh, trick ducks. I was kind of surprised that she has a section called birds, like it's every dog breed. So you scroll, 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 because there are thousands of trick dogs now. And then this is just novice. And then you get to Yorkshire Terrier. It's alphabetical. And after the Yorkshire Terrier, then you will see the other creatures. And then they are al alphabetized. Mm. So there was a section called birds, and there were like eight birds. And I thought, well, that's all? I, I have trouble believing that there are only... Because people teach huh. parakeets to do tricks, right? Because I taught my birds to do all kinds of things. I mean, you have? Oh, yeah. I have a little tiny basketball set. And they play basketball, and they, they spin around, and they raise their wings up, and they... Um, they open a treasure box. They're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're, they're so, so smart. These little parrots, it's an astonishing what they can do and they love it. They what love learning. What kind of parrot are they again? Oh, they're green cheek conyers. Oh, they're really cute. Aren't they? Yeah. And little, little, little ones. They, they only live for about 20 to 25 years They're So they're quite small for, for a parrot, but in terms of intelligence, they are a challenge. They're so complex and really and they and they love tricks i mean they're they're so excited to figure out what you're trying to get them to do and then they just want to do it over and over and they get really excited and um the the, the main problem with trick training them is you can't feed them so many you know there's a point where you have to say okay we have to stop feeding you seeds now because and they want to keep going yeah they're like this is the best thing what do you mean I, let me show you more they love the problem solving challenge i think that's part of it I mean, and the interaction with you yeah 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 yeah. but it but it's a diversion but you know i i grew up with a little dog i remember you'd hold up a treat and she would go through her whole rigmarole to try to show you all the tricks that she knew. And my birds will do the same thing. Um, they throw behaviors at you. Yeah. Like, check it out. I can, I can raise my wings. Check it out. <laughs> 
do they are do they tend to throw the behavior that's the last one they learned that made the the most recent one that made you so happy and you gave them treats no they have their favorites because some are easier okay and i think they're running through you know which is and this is you know i know this isn't good for training is you don't want them to just sort of throw you a million different behaviors you want to like cue them all it's hard not to reward it though because it's so cute yeah no they they definitely like they would rather spin around because that's easier than raising the wings i guess that takes some effort in the basketball must have taken you effort to teach it too (laughs) it takes patience doesn't it yeah it's 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 cool i don't know it's it's rewarding and they really they seem to just get a, get a kick over. They like playing basketball and dropping things. I mean, they naturally drop things off of tables, so they'll love to pick up things. <laughs> like a child, again, like a toddler. Yeah, and they'll watch it fall and they'll go, oh, look at that, it's on the ground. What else can I drop? <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I love it. I Yeah, I thought when I saw this guy teaching his pigeons that there would be all these pigeon titles and that you can't tell in the category birds, what species of bird mm. those are, but there were, there were trick ducks, which has to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And chickens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the longest time, we thought that birds weren't very smart and mm. we realized that we just had a different concept of brains and intelligence and well, yeah, we were looking at the anatomy too. We were looking at the size and the and the uh, folds on it, and we made assumptions the, about the structure that. and the wrinkliness. And we were like, oh yeah, they're they're not very smart, but they they we were so wrong, so wrong. Yeah, did they're just they have a sort of an alien, a different intelligence that is you know no less fascinating. No, uh, last week when I was talking to um, Jonathan Myberg of uh, Most Remarkable Creature, we were talking about uh, Harris, right? the yeah about the neuroanatomy of of birds and uh, comparing to the anatomy of human brains or primate brains and you know they just they had to downsize for flight so they're just as much more compact and lightweight I, I did look up anything peculiar to pigeon intelligence and i found some stuff in uh, psychology today about that and where they cited that there was a uh, in 2019 a belgian race winner sold for more than a million dollars <laughs> makes such an impression on people yeah but yeah, they, they, it was talking about they have an asymmetrical brain. I think you mentioned that too, how they uh, sleep. Half the brain sleeps and half the brain stays awake. So they're very different than we are. And yet um, on cognitive tests, like the math that you were talking about, they score up there with monkeys. Yeah, and, and, and they can recognize human faces. So don't annoy your local pigeons because they will, they will what? recognize you. They'll go, oh, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> That's that mean person that tells us to get off the lawn. <laughs> I guess so. And they'll come poop on you. Well, uh, yeah. So I don't know if they're retaliatory. People have been asking me, that. <laughs> come poop on you? but I don't know that they can really control it. Um, no, I, yeah. That's why they have to wear diapers, yeah, right? Definitely. It's not their fault. <laughs> they're so much more interesting than you would expect. And I mean, we didn't even get into they they make milk for their babies. The milk. <gasps> I know I had that on my list. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much to them, and I think um, I I really appreciate the chance to talk to talk about them with with you know someone who really gets animals because it's um, I just think it's such a shame that we're not uh, that we're not giving them as much credit as they deserve, and and there's also selfishly a real benefit to watching them and learning about them and you know expanding the horizons that way. So as in the botany of desire, um, there's something about them that's intrinsically pleasing. 
So you're, you're really missing out. Yeah. Don't you want to be like Tesla? <laughs> sort of <laughs> Darwin. Let's pick Darwin. You had a really creepy line about, cause he was a biologist. Oh, he said, oh yes. I love watching my pigeons on the outside and later I shall skeletonize them and look at them on the inside. <laughs> yeah. That was a very biological thing to say, but I think he genuinely loved them too. It just, he did. He was a Victorian biologist. So yeah, they were little, they were little. Strange. Things were different then too. I, I think, um, we assumed that there was just an endless supply of creatures on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a mistake. Yeah. I think uh, there may be right now an endless supply of pigeons <laughs> on earth. But <laughs> that doesn't mean you should go skeletonize them. No, no. Me, I don't think, I don't think we need to skeletonize them. I'm not, I won't conclude that. We have x-rays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this was really fun. Thank you. So I knew it was going to be. Oh, yeah. No, I had a great time too. And thank you so much for, for the chat about these really cool animals. And I hope folks, folks are excited to go read more. So it's, so it's called the pocket guide to pigeon watching, getting to know the world's most misunderstood bird, which I know is very wordy, but if you search for pigeon field guide, I think I'm the only one. So you should be able to find it. That's nice. Because there are a few pigeon stories. Be there's so many beautiful pigeon books. Yeah, there's there's a ton of them. But none like this. Not not a lot that are pocket sized. Freewheeling though, comprehensive and super cute. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for the kind words. Okay. Thank you for being on my podcast. And so, and everyone should go out and and get your book and for themselves and for their friends and for the local pigeons too. <laughs> it's a great gift book too. Anybody would be delighted to unwrap that present. Thank you. Thanks. And support your local bookstore. Yeah, please do. And your local pigeons. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I just want to talk about them all the time because <laughs> I love them. Oh. <laughs> my whole thought. There's, there's nothing in here but pictures of my birds. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I figured you would. Thank you so much for listening and for loving animals. Your time and devotion mean a lot to us. If you want to learn more, you'll find links to everything we referenced in our show notes on our website, thisanimallife.com. Our graphic artist is Sarah K. Martin. Our podcast theme composer is Chip Salerno. If you like this episode, please subscribe to This Animal Life on your favorite podcast provider and share it with a friend who loves animals as much as you do. Let's spread the love for animal life.